For the third year and counting, Richard Skipper has been celebrating the artists you love. Richard Skipper is all about celebrating life, art, and his guest body of work. Please join us while he showcases these diverse and talented individuals. Here's Richard Skipper. Happy Saturday, everyone, and happy July. Can you believe that we are more than halfway through this year? I, I can't believe where this year has gone. But I am so excited about today's show because thanks to my dear friend and colleague, Rosa Puzo, we have a very special guest on the show today. And I am excited to be celebrating this book. But have you read the book? Uh, if you love the movies, if you love to read, this is the book that you have to read. I am a big TCM uh, fan. TCM has been in the uh, news a lot lately, and we're going to talk about that today. I also want to talk about two shows that I saw this week. Uh, first of all, uh, I saw Life of Pi, which, of course, uh, was based on a book and a movie. I saw it on Broadway this week, and I have to say... It is truly one of the most exciting evenings that I have ever experienced in the theater. Uh, it's closing on July 23rd. So if you get a chance to go and see the show, please, please, please go see it uh, before it closes. I don't remember the last time that I was so immersed in a show that I just was oblivious to everything going on around me. It's just absolutely amazing. So go see Life of Pi on Broadway. And also in my own backyard, uh, there's a great theater here called Penguin Rep, and they are doing this incredible show now called Incident at Our Lady of Perpetual Help. And as a matter of fact, uh, they are sponsoring uh, today's show. And uh, we are going to give away two tickets today uh, to Ann Tallman's incredible show, uh, The Shadow of Her Smile, about her incredible relationship with Elizabeth Taylor. All you have to do, if you are available and you can get to uh, Rockland County, which is not as difficult as it sounds, if you can get to Rockland County on the 17th of July, uh, there's going to be a special presentation of this show. And I'm going to give away two tickets today. All you have to do is respond with hashtag National Velvet, which, of course, uh, National Velvet, the movie, was based on an incredible book as well. But only respond with hashtag National Velvet if you are available to accept those two tickets. Now, before I bring in our special guest today, I'm going to show you a little promo uh, from the show that I saw yesterday, Incident of Our Lady of Perpetual Help. And then on the other side, we will meet Christian Lopez. Here it is. Do you remember the 1970s? The 70s were ugly, beautiful. In this blouse, I was sober when I bought this. The 1970s social network was no frills, pared down menu of options. You were held up to public ridicule and person. You didn't tweet or text or post on Facebook. And public ridicule in a close-knit, hermetically sealed Catholic parish was the ultimate nightmare. On that note, let's get right to our cast. My mother. It is all the shopping, vacuuming, mopping, dusting, washing, waxing, caulking, painting, gardening, nursing, and ironing. My aunt Teresa. What is the point of doing a memory play if you can't smoke because people did smoke back then? And Terry's going through what my mom calls a rough patch. Mime smoking? That's like miming sex. What's the point? My kid sister, Becky. I'm beat. Spent all night trailing a hopped up Gunzel down to Lido Pier. Becky has decided she's Philip Marlowe or Sam Spade. It changes. Why aren't you pretending to be Lauren Bacall? She doesn't have as much fun as Bogart. Nixon! That son of a bitch. My father's default emotion was anger. Nixon's greasy mitts are all over this. Listen to this. Michael, lie down. This is Linda's story. In a few months, I'll be at grad school at Stanford on a scholarship. I'm going to write for Ms. Magazine, maybe The New Yorker. The thing is, there might be a slight hiccup in the proceedings. Over the course of four days in 1973, a series of events occurred in my life that was more memorable than anything else.
Christian Lopez, you are here. As you can see, movies permeate throughout our lives. And thank you, Penguin Rep, for sponsoring today's show. How are you, Christian? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Happy July. And who or what are you celebrating today? Uh, I mean, I think myself. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Well, I'm going to celebrate you because this book, first of all, is so incredible. Uh, from the moment it arrived in there, I couldn't put it down. Oh, thank you so much. And I keep going back and I, you know, I go back and forth. Um, you know, for me, uh, it all started when I was a kid. I'm going to pull up something here because I was doing it, you know, going through and I found this great uh, promo ad here. Uh, I'm a little bit older than you are. But when I was a kid, The Wizard of Oz was shown once a year. And it was presented for years by Danny Kaye. Did you know that? I had heard of that, yeah. Yes. And then, of course, this was my first uh, copy of The Wizard of Oz. I had uh, this with the W. Uh, w. Dinslow uh, drawings. And, you know, and I remember, you know, when I was old enough to start reading, uh, and I started reading all of the Oz books and the other books that L. L. Frank Baum uh, read. I remember the first time that I read the book and I went, wait a minute, the shoes are silver. They're not ruby. And, you know, and then as I'm reading your book and all of these uh, adaptations to film and, of course, uh, people who read books, sometimes the films will inspire people to go and read the books. And sometimes people re, uh, wait and wait and wait uh, with great anticipation for the film to come out, cause of the book. Which is it with you? Which comes first? You know, it really, it depends on the reason I am reading the book. Part of when people ask me about why I wanted to do a book about adaptations, I always say I am incredibly impatient so, you know, if I find out that they're making an adaptation of a book I love, or maybe it has a, an actor or a director that I love, I cannot wait the year or two years that it takes for that movie to come out. I need to know right now what I'm in for. So I will go read the book just as soon as I can in order to know. If I'm a little less focused on like, oh, there's an element that I need to see right away, I will try to read it ahead of time. Um, or sometimes I'll read it concurrently with seeing the movie. So I've, I've done, I've done both ways, but I tend to be impatient. I like to know ahead of time. I like to be spoiled. Well, when I go to see a movie, uh, you know, I'll, I'll use uh, West Side Story recently as an example. Uh, I'm able, and as, as I've gotten older, I've gotten better at this, uh, to be able to go in and sit back and say, okay, I am willing to go along for the ride. I am willing to see what these creatives have brought to the table with their version of this story. Instead of being a stickler with what, I, I hate the fact that they didn't do that, or why did they do this instead of this? Let's just let them bring what they are bringing to the table. And I'm getting from your book, and correct me if I'm wrong, that for the most part, you're not judgmental at all. At least I don't get the feeling that you're judgmental in terms of telling your uh, the, the story that you're telling in terms of adaptations to film. Uh, you basically take us uh, down this two-way path of both versions of what we are in for. Yeah, one of the critiques I get from people is that they wish I had put more of an opinion in the various sections. And I could have done that, you know, but my goal is to get people to read, you know, it's easy to tell people why they should watch a movie, I, which I do in my day job, but it's harder to get somebody to sit down and commit to reading a book. So I had a few rules with myself in the sense that I only picked books that I liked and or would be positive on. So, you know, when people ask me which ones I didn't include, I tend to say stuff where I didn't like the book. And there's a couple. There's a couple adaptations where I do not like the book, but I love the movie. Uh, and I didn't include them because I want people to actually read the book. And I feel it's a harder sell if you say the book sucks. Um, the one caveat, though, and I think the one section where I get judgmental is there's a section about 
uh, Ernest Hemingway's To Have and Have Not, which they adapted in the 40s. Mm-hmm. And it was the last book that I had to do. So I was done with everything else. And I started reading it. And within the first five pages, it is incredibly racist. And ethnic slurs all over the place. Very Hemingway. Um, and I said, well, I don't know if I can, in good conscience tell people to read this book it's incredibly racist and my publisher said well you can always read a different Hemingway book and I immediately was like oh I'll just do the old man of the sea it's like 50 pages I'll be done really quick and they're like no it has to be a full book you can't do that so I had already watched the movie I'd already committed it was the last one I was like okay just gotta stick with it so what I ended up doing and doing research on the book was finding out this really amazing story, which was that Howard Hawks and Hemingway knew this was Hemingway's worst book. They knew it. And they made a bet one weekend that Hawks could not make a great movie out of Hemingway's worst book. And if you've seen the film version of To Have and Have Not, which is very much a Casablanca ripoff, but it is a very good movie based off of a very horrible book. Uh, And if anything, it ended up ruining Hawks and Hemingway's relationship for a period of time because Hemingway got a flat fee to sell Hawks the rights. Hawks pitched this book to so many studios. He ended up making more money just trying to sell the rights and not having a movie made than Hemingway got selling him the rights in the first place. Uh, So if anything, I thought that was really interesting and showed the, the process of adaptations. And eventually they would also make a really good movie in the 1950s called The Breaking Point also based off of To Have and Have Not, that is a bit more in line with Hemingway's text, although it does have a very significant and heartbreaking plot point involving a character of color played by Juan Hernandez. And I feel, I I might be putting words in the screenwriter's mouth, but I feel like that's a sly little attempt to kind of tell people, we knew the book was incredibly racist, so we tried to rectify it by giving you this really great character of color uh that you end up rooting for so uh yeah my goal was always to celebrate the books even if the book doesn't necessarily deserve it like in this case well you bring up two very interesting points that i want to bring up first of all this has been a this is a very interesting topic that we're grappling with in today's world um Roald Dahl's books, for example, and one of his books is uh, covered in this, is uh, Willy Wonka. Um, But they're going back and they are rewriting, with his family's permission, they are going in and rewriting his books uh, so that they are more, uh, if for lack of a better word, contemporary or amenable to today's audiences. Um, And then you've got Agatha Christie, uh, who her family, her grandchildren, uh, feel that there were racist overtones in her books. Um, Do you feel that these books should be rewritten, number one, or do you feel uh, that a disclaimer should be put in the book, that these books are a product of their time? Yeah, they're also doing this with Ian Fleming, I think, as well, with the James Bond series. And I am definitely not one for rewriting books, especially if the original author is no longer alive. You know, it's 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 similar to me seeing, like, actors that are no longer alive in AI versions of, of movies. I just, it feels very sweaty and weird to me. I don't like it. Um and the concept of contextual contemporizing a book, I think it's a lot like how we approach classic film, you know, and we do get disclaimers on certain classic films that, oh, this came out at a different time. You might see racist depictions of things. And I'm, I'm fine with that. I think if anything, we tend to forget, like with classic film, the time periods in which these books were written, it does not make them better you know you can read uh margaret mitchell's gone with the wind or see gone with the wind the film and you know it's it's definitely going to be troubling and that's not it wasn't appropriate in 1939 when the film came out or when the book came out but that is the time period we know now that we have grown hopefully as a society and we look at it within the context of the time period that it was written in um so i'm all for disclaimers you know i do think that 
regardless, I, I want people to be active readers and more active viewers when they consume stuff, but that doesn't always happen. So yeah, disclaimers, I think just reminding people this book was written in this time period. You might see some depictions, you know, Ian Fleming, these, these books were written in the sixties by a man, you know, you might get a little, little sexism there. Uh, Do you feel, I mean, reading these books, uh, I mean, obviously if someone's writing about a, a character, they are depicting these characters in certain tones. Uh, and sometimes people are unable to separate the author from the characters that they're writing about. For example, there are some people who feel that because Hemingway created those characters, that that made him a racist. You are obviously able to separate the writer from the characters that they're writing about. I try to, but I do think I'm also a person that reads way too many biographies and like reads about these people, you know, and in, in Hemingway's case, I mean, there is a lot of strong argument that if, if anything, he was very misogynist. So I tend to get more wrapped up in his depictions of women. Same with Ian Fleming, you know, very much those those depictions, whether good natured or not, are very hard for me to deal with. Um What's interesting for me, if anything, you know, this was the first time, not to beat up on Fleming too much, but this was the first time I'd ever seen a Sean Connery James Bond. I had never seen, I'd seen the modern one. So I'd seen Pierce Brosnan on up to today, but I had not seen Connery's version and I hadn't read Dr. No. And I read it and because I think most people understand having seen the movies, you can anticipate certain things, okay? The women are going to probably not be written well. What shocked me, though, about reading Dr. No, the book, was more how the character of Dr. No is as a disabled person is written. And as a disabled person myself, I, I took more issue with that because the character is just written so silly. And yet in the film version, they actually kind of erased a lot of the things that would not have worked in that in the book. So like in the book, he's got these big metal claw hands that you probably wouldn't have been able to construct right. in the 1960 film without it looking just ridiculous. So they erased that. And if anything, I was more intrigued by the fact that that was okay to change as opposed to the female characters. So I think if anything, I don't necessarily, you know, I take the author for who they are, warts and all, but I think if anything, reading a problematic author and then seeing how Hollywood takes that author and then tries to either clean up or lean into certain things, I think that's very fascinating. You know, I, I, I think if anything, I appreciated seeing kind of the Hollywood machine work with these authors and try to find ways to simultaneously clean up while retaining what people love about the book, even if the author and some of those themes are not current. Well, I was watching the celluloid closet the other night, the documentary on how gay, yes, on how gays are depicted in film. And Arthur Lawrence was talking about how offended he was by certain depictions of gay characters in films. And in the very next clip, uh, Harvey Firestein says that he would rather have those characters on camera than to have them completely obliterated from film because he felt that it was important to have the visibility factor there than to have it not there at all. Um, and I'd like your take on that. Yeah, I definitely agree with him. You know, the disability especially, there's been a lot of really bad representation. TCM this month. Exactly. Yes, they're doing an amazing theme. If you uh, watch TCM religiously like I do, you might see me on a little interstitial that they filmed about the history of disability in, in cinema. Um, but I, I tend to fall in line with there are some depictions of disability that are very dated. Um, and yet those have shaped my identity for good and bad. And I appreciate having them, even if I know that they are problematic. So I think if anything, I'm at the point now when I talk about disability in film where I'm just like, great, we've had the bad versions. We've had the middling versions. Now we need to be at the, the version where things are good, where we understand what we want and we're included. And that's still a very slow road. You know, we still have not made the headways that we should have had in the last, you know, 20, 30 years. So I think if anything, you know, we're just asking for more at this point. We're like, great, we've gone through the 
bad representation is better than none at all. But what are we doing to build on that? What is Hollywood doing to build on that? And that's a bit, it's a bit slower to, uh, to see so far. Well, I want to ask you, first of all, how did this book come about? Yeah, so I had had a coworker at a former place that I'd worked at who'd written two books for TCM. And I was really fascinated by that. And I figured that you had to be like Roger Ebert. You know, you had to like have won a Pulitzer to, to write a book for TCM. That's not to say that it's easy to write a book for TCM. But I figured I had clearly not paid my dues. I was never, it was going to be decades before I could even approach them with an idea. And my coworker had said, would you want to meet the publisher? And I said, sure. And I talked to him, the great John Malahai, and we talked for a long time about different things that I was interested in, none of which was this book, of course. Uh, and they called me a couple weeks later and said, well, you know, we have this idea that we're pitching about film adaptations and you have a master's in English. Do you read a lot? And I had to laugh because <laughs> never in my, my time since I've graduated from college has anybody brought up my master's. This was like the first time ever anybody was like, do you, you have a master's degree? Yes, I, I do. It was very expensive, but I'm glad you noticed it. Um, so I said, yes, you know, part of getting a master's in English is you read a lot. Uh, but I also read a lot for fun. And so, you know, when they said film adaptation, so I was in because again, I am incredibly impatient. I always try to read the book before the movie. So it was really a union of a, an idea that they had and an idea that I just was like, I, I can write that in my sleep. I'm ready. But had you written anything prior to this? Well, I mean, I was a journalist, you know, my day job is as an entertainment journalist. So I've written, you know, articles for I'd like to say every website, but Vanity Fair. Um, so I, I'd been I'd written a lot of of entertainment based things. I'd done interviews, you know, I would, had written essays for, you know, little anthology things, but never a full scale book, um, which was terrifying to me that I was just not going to be able to do it. Uh, you are a great writer. I couldn't put it down. Oh, uh, yay. It, anytime somebody says they've read one word of my stuff, whether it's this book or an article, uh, I'm just like, really? I mean, I think I'm okay. But you know, I, I'm very self my my mom says I need to give myself more credit and I'm working. on it. No, it's really great. Uh, so when I mean, how much leeway did they give you in terms of you choosing the films? Or did they give you suggestions as to what they wanted the films to be? Yeah, we talked a lot about that. The one movie that they wanted included because it was coming out around the time I was writing was, was Dune. So that was, I would say, lovingly foisted on me because I would not have put Dune on my list uh, because I'm not a big, big sci-fi person. Um, but we talked about we wanted diversity of genres, eras, authors. You know, we wanted to make sure that there were women directors, women authors, people of color who were directors, people of color who were authors. So we had a lot of that. And then there were some other caveats that we kind of both agreed on, which was the books had to be accessible. There were some things that I would have loved to include that were out of print or were very hard to find. Same with the films. The films had to be able to be accessible to people that wanted to see them. Um, and we had to include, they had to be full books. So I had, I really wanted to include Stand By Me but it's a short story in a Stephen King anthology, so it didn't count. Um, I had a couple uh, movies that I, I would have loved to include, but they were novellas, so they weren't full books. So from there, it was me initially sending them a list of ideas because I had said, you know, it's TCM, so they don't want, like, contemporary stuff. So I think I stopped at Jurassic Park, and they were like, Kristen, adaptations have continued since 1995 you need to include more contemporary things so we well, went back and forth a lot book, <laughs> you give the most recent version of little women yeah yeah which i was really happy to include because i love greta gerwig i loved little women when it came out and i think it's one of it's a great example of a movie that has had multiple versions. There's a version of Little Women for every generation. Mine is the 90s version. Um, and yet there are such interesting differences between the 33 version to the 49 to the 95 to the 19 that really do emphasize how a and book TV can... versions, let's not forget those. <laughs> yes, exactly. Many TV versions. So I, I love being able to count the, the distinctions there. Um, 
And, and yeah, there were a couple movies I would have loved to include that, you know, the books had to be popular. Uh, movies had to be popular. So there were some things here and there where they were like, Kristen, only you like that adaptation. Nobody, Nobody's going to know this movie. Nobody's going to know this book. So uh, we went back and forth. It was a very collaborative process. And I got most everything that I wanted to include the first go round. So. Well, as I was reading the book, I had all these ideas, which I'll tell you off camera uh, for your next book. <laughs> I'm all for it. Uh, because I, there are there are so many uh, in incredible things. Um, I'm always interested when I interview authors if the first words that we read are the first words that you write. Uh, obviously, you've got an introduction to the book, uh, so it could be that or not. Um, but you start with Frankenstein, uh, and was this the first book that you uh, or first uh, adaptation that you started with, or did you go back to that? How did that begin? Yeah, so I was fortunate that I got to keep one of my sample chapters, which was Wuthering Heights. So I had that already completed and, it, you know, just required a little bit of a polish. But I had a very short amount of time in which to write from the eight months, give or take, which is a very short amount of time to write a book about 52 literary adaptations where you actually have to read stuff. So I had a very strict schedule which was that I, I ranked everything in terms of at the very top that were high priority were books I hadn't read and movies I hadn't seen. So that those were the ones that I, I knew I had to devote the most time to. And then from there, oh yeah, go on. You know, did you go back to the original classics or were you covering all genres of books? I mean, we were definitely covering all genres. So I, I, all the 52 that were in the book, I ended up ranking kind of in order to, to tackle them. Um, so the, the ones at the very bottom were, as we got closer to the publication deadline, um, were stuff that I had already seen the movie. I knew like the back of my hand and I had already read the book and I knew it like the back of my hand. Um, and then from there, every week I would watch start, start on Sunday with a movie uh, break the book up into five days worth of reading, read the book, write the section on Saturday, and then start all over again with a different movie. So it was uh, it was very daunting. It, it reminded me a lot of preparing for my master's exam. So uh, if anything, I patted myself on the back that I could still turn into a college student when I needed to. <laughs> Well, I, I mean, it's 52 weeks. There are 52, I mean, 52 movies uh, and books. Uh, there are 52 weeks in the year. I mean, was that always the goal? I wish I was that smart. Um, <laughs> when people ask me that all the time and I was, my mom says I should just start saying, yes, that was the plan. No, it was, uh, <laughs> we went back and forth and eventually 52 just became a number where I was like, yeah. I think I could do that. I like all of the movies here. I like all, I don't want to cut anything else. Um, so yeah, it was just completely like, I think this is doable. This is respectable. So I can work with this number. Now, I want to know, uh, and perhaps this is something you want to say for another time, but what are some of the titles that did not end up in the book that are going to end up in the sequel? Because they're oh always my gosh. Going to be a sequel, Kristen. I would love to do a sequel. If TCM called me tomorrow and said, where's the sequel? I would TCM. be all for it. <laughs> um, I mean, the big one is, like you mentioned, The Wizard of Oz. People ask me all the time, where's The Wizard of Oz? And it was on a, I literally found the short list the other day and it was on there. For some reason, I just didn't transfer it to the final document. So it completely got, uh, fell through the cracks. So that would be a big one that I would love to include. Um, you know, just in the last year, there's been so many adaptations. I I love Agatha Christie's Death on the Nile that they, oh. that just came out a couple couple years ago. I think that movie's a lot of fun, and I would love to compare it to the original. Um, you know, Bones and All is a another one that's recent that I really I included. Call Me by Your Name on this book, so I feel like I need to keep the Luca Guadagnino love going into a second one. Um, so those are those are the two that I I would definitely love to in the three I would love to include. Um, you know, people have asked me if I include Gone with the Wind. Uh, Gone with the Wind, National Velvet, yeah, Showboat. Oh the, yeah, you know uh, the uh, I've read the the novel Showboat, uh, Giant. Uh, yes, uh, any of yeah. Edna Ferber's books uh, are all great. I mean, but what is really wonderful is. Uh, these great books 
getting the idea to go back and read these original books. Um, I've never read Frankenstein, but now I want to go and read Frankenstein because of your book. And I think that what's going to happen is that I think that your book should be required reading in all schools because I think it's going to encourage kids to go and want to read the original books that these are based on. Because I, you know, spoiler alert, if I can give one spoiler, uh, is getting the idea that Brighter Frankenstein is based more on the original Frankenstein book than the original Frankenstein movie, which I did not know until I read your book. Yeah, I mean, I was fortunate in college, I took a class that was called Book to Film about adaptations. And that that also inspired a lot of the movies I included on here. And, you know, I, I love I, I love that in high school, I got to take a film class before electives tended to disappear in most American high schools. So I, I would love to encourage more budding film goers, young film lovers to become film readers, uh, you know, and I think that's a, a great thing. And with regards to Frankenstein, I mean, Frankenstein is one of those that people read or come to the movie before they come to the book it's like jurassic park you're hard pressed to find somebody that read the book first um and and i think that frankenstein just has so many so many interesting roads to go down you know uh and there's been multiple versions of it we love to remake it but most of those versions are all directed by men you know mm -hmm. and and mary shelley as a writer is very much looking at all sorts of different things from hubris to you know people have talked about that frankenstein is a reproductive rights story you know there's a lot of different angles into the book and so i i love people who read frankenstein especially and come at it with it's actually a disability story it's actually about this you can kind of infuse it with anything you want and that's that's a testament to a classic you know that you can read it as coded in different ways and she's a true feminist yeah yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, they made a they made a biopic, a Mary Shelley biopic with Elle Fanning uh, yeah. a couple years ago, which is very cute. Um, it's worth a watch. Uh, it's not perfect, but she definitely was such a fantastic and underrated writer, you know. Uh, and I think what I I've appreciated is that Hollywood really loves to kind of tell the Mary Shelley story. Bride of Frankenstein starts with. Elsa Lanchester as Mary Shelley telling the story to everybody. Ken Russell would do that same kind of storytelling with, I think, Natasha Richardson and Gothic, uh, you know, a couple decades later. Um, so I love that Mary Shelley is the first author in the book that you see because still doesn't get her flowers, I think, after all of these uh, hundreds of years. <laughs> Now, I want to talk about a, a book, a uh, movie, that I was surprised to find in the book because I actually have a first edition copy of this book, and that's Anita Luce's Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Uh, and uh, it was given to me as a gift years ago because I'm a huge Carol Channing fan. And uh, uh, so uh, the book was given to me, and uh, you covered this in the book, and it was great to you know get the, uh, the, I, the story of this because, of course, uh, Gentlemen Prefer, Prefer Blondes is truly a story that is set in the 1920s. But of course, the film adaptation uh, from Marilyn Monroe goes into the 50s. And why this particular book uh, and movie adaptation? Yeah, I knew I wanted a Marilyn movie. I knew I wanted one. And the question was, was which one? And I think what people are surprised to find out is that Gentlemen Prefer Blondes is technically not an adaptation of Anita Luz's book. It's actually an adaptation of the stage show that is yeah. what they turned into a musical. But the stage show is an adaptation of Anita Luz's book. And if your brain is kind of like confused by that, they're doing the same thing with The Color Purple this year which is they're making a musical version based off of the Broadway show, which is an adaptation of Alice Walker's novel, which we already got a narrative version of uh, directed by Steven Spielberg. So we love to find new ways into adaptation, but the Anita Luz book, yes, is very much a flapper novel. You know, uh, you don't know much about Lorelai, uh, who does not have a last name in the book, or her friend Dorothy. Uh, mm -hmm. And what I appreciated about, this was the first time I'd read it. I love the Marilyn Monroe film. It's one of my favorite oh, classic oh, films. Oh, 
And what I really was struck by is how body the book is. You know, Anita Luz, I think this book holds a lot more in common with her film version of Redheaded Woman uh, with Jean Harlow, especially Gentlemen Prefer Blondes' ending, which is very different from the film. Um, a little less happy, a little more calculating. There's a heist in it. Um, and all of these are, characters are based on people she knew. You know, Dorothy was based on a friend of Anita Luz. Um, the, the one character of Henry Spofford, who is played wonderfully by George Winslow in the film as a small child. It's actually a grown man in the book, uh, based on Will Hayes, allegedly, a famous Hollywood censor Will yeah. Hayes. Yeah. Um, and it's just such a body, fun book, but it's also about feminism and friendship. You know, there's some great lines where Lorelai says how much she appreciates Dorothy and that so often women don't get to have friendships because of societal expectations. And, you know, you do get those Anita lose asides, but it's such a different entry into those characters that I, I love it. You know, the, in the fifties version, I don't think loses anything. It just, codes it a bit more into the early 50s world that we we know just by percentages how many of the uh films that are in this book uh had you not seen prior to sitting down to write the book films wise i think maybe it was about 10 percent you know there were there were a few that i had never seen the films a great example is blade runner uh, I had never seen Blade Runner up until I did this. Blade Runner was not my first choice. I wanted to do We Can Remember It For You Wholesale, which is what they based Total Recall on. But it is a short story, so I couldn't do it. Um, so, so yeah, Blade Runner I hadn't seen. Joy Luck Club I had not seen, um, which I'm still kicking myself because that movie is joyous and wonderful. Oh, I know. Um, so yeah, it, it, Dr. No, um, was on there. So it was, it was a very small amount where I had not actually seen the films because in my day job, that's all I was, I was doing was watching movies. So, you know, it was, uh, it was easy to kind of catch up on everything. Um, but there were a few, there were a few that I had not seen until this project. Now with certain films, there are, uh, remakes or new adaptations of films. Was it easy or difficult for you not to go and look at those other adaptations of it as you were focused on specific films. For example, Willy Wonka, and then there's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And I'd like you to talk specifically about that because, uh, and again, I don't want to give any spoilers because we want people to buy the book. Yeah, so I would, I tended to eschew other versions i knew the versions i wanted to include mostly because of time you know i didn't i knew i didn't have a lot of time to add more books or more more uh films to my docket but thankfully most of what i picked i'd already seen other versions of them so you know willy wonka and charlie and the chocolate factory i had seen both i had seen several times so i knew them very well um you know uh i think i put um not no country for old men what is the other true grit True Grit, I had seen the Cohen version uh, when that had come out, and I knew that well enough, but I was focusing on the original John Wayne version. So I didn't go back, mostly because I knew what I wanted to say, and if I needed to refer to another remake, I already knew kind of how that was different. So like in the case of the Cohen brothers with True Grit, I knew that the ending of the Cohen brothers version was more in line with the, uh, the book than the John Wayne version was. So it, I really only relied on other versions if there were some some type of significant change that I needed to bring up. Now, another book that I want to bring up, because <laughs> uh, I, when, I was in, uh, when I was in the sixth grade, uh, my mom found this book under my pillow. Uh, do you want to guess which book it was? Oh, gosh. I, I'm stumped. There, there are multiple options. <laughs> Valley of the Dolls. Oh, I was going to say, you know, I know that my mom would have would say that her the one she would hide under her bed is like Flowers in the Attic, yeah. so, which is also an adaptation. So, yes. yeah. Valley of the Dolls. And I was happy to see you know, what you wrote about this in, in the book. So go with Valley of the Dolls. Yeah, Valley of the Dolls. I love the movie. It is all sorts of wacky and fun and sad, but I had not read the book and I didn't include a lot of big books, you know, long. I, I knew I had only a short amount of time 
So I didn't pick books that were really prodigious. So I think Valley of the Dolls and The Shining were the longest books I included in, in the um, 52. And as soon as I started reading Jacqueline Suzanne's book, and Jacqueline Suzanne, it was hard not to just start talking about her life in the section of, about her because she is a fascinating person just in her own right. But reading the book is such a tragic, sad story of, you know, the loss of, of not just innocence, but the loss of, you know, female desire and all of these things. And that is not at all, I think, how Mark Robson directed the original film because the, the book ends on a very sad note, you know, it's very depressing. Um, and without spoiling things, it's more just like these women become their mothers who live lives of quiet desperation. This is the the generation. This is how it's going to go. And that is not at all the ending of the film. You know, the film ends very pep peppy with the main character realizing that she needs to give up the rat race and leave the city because it's corrupting and she saves herself. Not at all what happens in the book. No, um, no. And and Jacqueline Suzanne was a little disappointed with the ending. She was even more irritated that they tried to make a sequel and put her name on it. Uh, and she ended up suing the studio for that. But and the I do has nothing to do with this story. Which has all. nothing exactly. It's not, it's a sequel in name only, but they tried to use her name and she she got uh, she she got hers for that, you know. She she tried to sue, um, but I I do wish that Valley of the Dolls maybe would get another adaptation, a bit less camp, kind of like what Todd Haynes did with Mildred Pierce, because the ending of the book is just such a gut punch, you know. It's so depressing, especially if you're like me and you'd only ever seen the movie and you're just like, but but this this character doesn't make it out, like. How she the movie says, you know, it's one of those moments where you're like, the movie told me, so the book has to have the same thing. Well, do you feel that I mean, Valley of the Dolls has gone down that path of such a camp classic that it is such an over the top, it's been parodied, it's been uh, there have been stage adaptations of it, uh, it's been done uh, off Broadway, it's been there have been. Uh, big drag. I saw a production um, uh, out in uh, called. Um, I saw a, a production of it out in uh, San Francisco many years ago. Uh, a live version of it, uh, and it was just this over the top uh, production. But do you think that because it's so over the top, that it would be difficult for a quote unquote straight version of it to be done? I think it's possible. You know, it's it's one of those where the book was was a huge bestseller, you know, and the movie kind of became this this punchline, right? It it was it was very much considered a joke film when it when it uh, eventually as time would go on and it's now become this this cult classic. I think there is a way to do it straight, you know, in the sense of enough time has passed at this point, you know, most people, especially, you know, my generation and younger don't know Jacqueline Suzanne and the the issues with getting the movie made that I think enough time has passed that you could probably do a modern, you know, or even a film set in the 60s, you know, that is a, a straightforward version. Um, I think it's doable. I would actually really be interested in that because, you know, much like what Todd Haynes did with Mildred Pierce, which I kind of consider the gold standard of like trying to modernize and do a remake, you know, enough time has passed that, the women of, of today are very different than the feminism of the 1960s that I think there would be a way to do it in a sensitive manner, you know, that does try to find the humor and the levity while also, you know, being like, this is how things were. So I, I definitely, I support it. It's one of the few times where I'm like, I kind of wish they would make another attempt at this because there is a way in. Um, I always, you know, I believe in being at the right place at the right time. And you mentioned earlier uh, a co-worker, I think it was, uh, who had written a couple of books with TCM. Uh, do you feel that this type of uh, career path would have happened with you if you had not been with this co-worker 
that you had been with? I mean, because obviously it's a great book. Uh, we are lucky that you've written this book. And again, everyone out there, I hope that you will all get this book. Um, and you'll, you won't be able to put it down. And again, I want to talk about some of the titles I won in the second book. Um, but uh, do you think that we would have eventually gotten a book such as this if you had not been uh, where you were at the time that you had been at where you were? You know, it's possible. I mean, I, I would have had worked with TCM before, you know, I had written stuff for their website. I had, you know, covered the festival, you know, most, most people at TCM knew me, you know, so I'd like to think that maybe if I had brought it up earlier, you know, or had brought it up at some point, it would have happened. But I definitely subscribe to the the right place at the right time thing. And, you know, I think that uh, I, I know that when I started talking to the publishing house, I was still very much like, we're just talking, right? Like, this isn't actually going to turn into anything. So I'm very much of uh, one of those people where it's just like, oh, I'm just I'm just asking questions. You actually want me to do this? Um, you know, so I, I'm always surprised when something turns out to, to be bigger than it is. So I'd like to think it was a possibility, but no, I, I definitely ascribe to the, uh, to the, the, you know, call it, call it right place, call it destiny or what, what have you. So yeah. Uh, shout out to my, my coworker, Christian Blavelt. He knows I owe him for, uh, for making this, uh, and, this happen. <laughs> and again, uh, to all the powers that be at TCM, I hope that they're going to do a whole series around this book. Is that it? Is I, you know, I book? hope. I hope we've. I, I lovingly let it slip at the this year's festival. Uh, that you know, there a lot of people want a sequel. Like, where are we at? Um, and we've talked about other things. You know, have you seen the original? Have you know? There's there's a lot of different angles. I think people are really into. You know, so uh, never say never. I, if I could just, I love TCM so much. If I could just professionally like write for them forever be very happy. <laughs> I love TCM. And I want to tell you, uh, and uh, at another time, Kristen, uh, and I'll send you the link, but uh, I entered a contest years ago for their backlog uh, and I won. And I went out uh, to introduce Jezebel at Grauman's Chinese Theater with Tiffany Vasquez. And uh, I created a, a, uh, I did a screen test uh, to present uh, Jezebel. And uh, it's on YouTube, everyone. Just Google Richard Skipper Jezebel. It's there. And being at the uh, TCM Film Festival is truly one of the highlights of my life. There's nothing like it. Have you done the film? Have you done the cruise as well? I have not done the cruise, uh, mostly because it was way too expensive. Uh, but, you know, it's here in San Diego this year. So I keep a uh, keep trying to lovingly tell them like, again, you want to put me on the high seas to sell this book. Uh, I am all for this. I'm going to start a letter writing campaign. They should. <laughs> no, yes. I, I, and I'll go on the cruise that, you know, I think it should happen. Um, and another, you know, and it's interesting when I mentioned this book, the titles that people throw, there's so many, the, you know, uh, breakfast at Tiffany's is another, uh, you know, great, uh, uh, film uh, adaptation that I would love for you to. Uh, what are some of your uh, dream titles that did not make it to this book? Oh gosh, uh, you know, there's there's stuff that's that's smaller scale that I just I I know that people probably wouldn't. I had a lot of Dennis Lehane books uh, on here. My my initial my second sample chapter is actually Mystic River, um, and so eventually they were like, "Kristen, you have way too many crime books on here. You have to cut them." So uh, eventually I would love to do something like Gone Baby Gone or Mystic River or any of Dennis Lehane's amazing adaptations that he's done. Um, you know, I had, uh, I think The Big Sleep originally was on a short list. Uh, Raymond Chandler's The Big Sleep, uh, which is utterly confusing so much so that even Raymond Chandler did not know the answer <laughs> to a plot point uh, that is in the movie. So I would love to include that. Um, you know, there's a Gone Girl is a great example of when people ask me, what is an adaptation you think the book is better? Hot take, but I prefer the book far more than the film. Um, so Gone, I would have loved to include Gone Girl just so I could kind of like snark on why I don't like the movie. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a bunch. I keep a running tally. I add to it every now and then, uh, with ideas for, for things, um, that I would be into. And there's a lot of, I just got gifted from a, a great friend of mine, uh, a copy of Clooney Brown, 
which is a Jennifer Jones movie uh, that I think Ernst Lubitsch directed. Um, so I don't know how easily accessible Clooney Brown is, but I would love to include it just because I doubt most people know that is a book. Absolutely. I don't want you to go anywhere for a moment. I want to uh, mention our sponsor once again, Penguin Rep. And I mentioned earlier, uh, and you can see it on the bottom of the screen here, I'm giving away two tickets for Ann Tallman's show. Uh, she played Elizabeth Taylor's daughter uh, in The Little Foxes on Broadway. And I'm going to show a little uh, trailer uh, of uh, Ann Tallman's show uh, so you can get a little sen uh, sense of this. And uh, we're going to continue this conversation on the other side of this. So don't go anywhere, Christian. And uh, this is uh, Ann Tallman uh, in the shadow of her smile. Make someone happy. Make just one someone happy. Make just one heart the heart you sing to. In an interview with James Grissom in 1991, Elizabeth said, oh, everything fades away. Everything passes. You can survive anything if you choose to do so. In London, I kept a journal. I would sit backstage, cross-legged on the floor, writing with my favorite fountain pen, and one day Elizabeth looked down at me and said, Annie, that had better not be about me. <laughs> and I wait for the heart of a little boy sailor to come break the bottle and help me be free. Elizabeth and I often fell in love with our co-stars. And when he asked me to the Emmys, I called Elizabeth immediately. Elizabeth, oh, Annie, I'll set it all up. A private viewing at Saks in Beverly Hills. Champagne and everything. Oh, do you want to borrow my jewelry? Because I love to be married. Any regrets? Nope. I'm unregrettable. I loved each one in my way at the time. After Burton Burton, there was Senator Warner, and finally, Larry Fortensky, and she was absolutely unregrettable. And if I had to choose again, I would still choose you and you and you and you and you times two and you and you. really is a great show so it looks amazing i'm very jealous i am not on the east coast well uh she was just out in la maybe she'll come out to san diego is that your home base i'm in la so yeah yeah i'm uh i'm in uh toluca lake near bob hope's house so oh. yeah get a little so classic film in my you, neighborhood uh wrapping everything up what one book um made you 
rush out to see the movie. Oh, gosh. Of the books that are in the book, in, uh, any, in what have you? Uh, whether it's in this book or any other, uh, uh, any movie. Oh, my gosh. You know, I, I read Gone Baby Gone to bring it back to Lahane. I read that uh, ahead of time. And after I read it, I just was so excited to see the book uh, or to see the film that, I mean, I, I loved the movie opening day. It's very different. The ending is not the same as the book, which bummed me out. Um, same with Shutter Island. You know, when you have Scorsese adapting one of your favorite authors, you make the time to go out and see it. Uh, so, yeah, I think... Most recently, uh, I, I read Bullet Train, and then I saw the movie. Uh, so, so yeah, I tend to be, uh, I get very excited if I like the book. Uh, so, yeah, those are those are some ones where I rushed out to see the film. And uh, what movie made you want to read the book? Oh, gosh. There's so, so, so many. Um and of course, I can't think of any right now. Um, I think I saw, I, I want to say that I saw Death on the Nile first, the film, and then I went back and read the book. Because again, Kenneth Branagh is, does such a wild adaptation. And I needed to know, just because knowing that I had read other Christie books before, I was like, I need to know what what he added and what he took away. And that is a very different type of murder mystery, but it is so... Did you, so very his, fun. did you see his version before? Uh, have you seen the other version as well? I have not. Now I need to. So if I if I put it in book two, I'm hoping to see uh, the earlier version because I know I've that's only, a classic. I've only seen the earlier version. So oh, so see, we're gonna have to swap and then come back. <laughs> oh my god, the earlier version is amazing. I, I've heard, I've heard it is, well, I mean, most of the Paro, the classics, you know, the, those versions are so beloved, you know, so uh, much like James Bond, I come at these from the weird angle and then I'm backtracking. It happens a lot. And uh, I'm going to put you on the spot. Do you have a favorite Bond? Oh, gosh. For me, I mean, I Pierce Brosnan was the first one that I saw, you know, so I, you know, Goldeneye is a great movie. Yeah. Um, and I think that he's definitely like the Bond for me. Uh, you know, I, I do love Casino Royale. I think that was the first Bond book I read. Mm -hmm. um, was that one uh, in anticipation of the movie coming out? And but no, I think Pierce Brosnan was always he just seemed more like I don't want to say the normal Bond, but he seemed like an attainable Bond. Like Daniel Craig, I think, is very much like Uber Super Bond in my I head. Uh, but did you, yeah. I mean, have you uh, been paying attention to the Bond controversy that's happening in the news this week? Oh, there's new, there's new controversy? I yeah. knew they were changing the books. Last That was the last I'd heard. Uh, with Idris Elba? Oh yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he's been talking uh, about that on and off for a while about the struggles of, you know, the fans would love him to play Bond, but you know, as a, a man of color, you know, there's a lot of antipathy, and I, I wish that people, society was better when it comes to, you know, putting some putting actors into legacy parts. You know, we see the same thing with like Doctor Who, you know, um, or any type of like legacy character. The Little Mermaid. Has, I mean, yeah, let's, The Little Mermaid. And, let's get and that, past it. I love, I love The Little Mermaid. It's been my favorite movie since I was five years old. And the controversy that came up about Halle Bailey just made my stomach hurt because I was like, how can you deny a generation of young girls the ability to feel seen? As a, again, maybe because as a disabled woman, I never felt seen. You know, so I tended to gravitate to characters like the original Little Mermaid that was not specifically disabled, but was coded disabled or at least felt that way to me. You know, and to see video of, of little, you know, little girls running to Halle Bailey and losing their mind. I'm like, I can't I would never want to take that away from anybody, you know, so I need society to not suck. Uh, so, yeah, I, mean, I definitely I think there needs to be, you know, more more flexibility with legacy characters because the characters are not written to be a specific race. You know, I, most people, as we've seen, just tend to see people that look like them, you know, and I, when I see somebody, you know, I don't see, an, I, I don't think most people see a disabled person. So it's, it's very frustrating um, that we're still so close-minded. 
I, you know, I have a, uh, I have a very dear friend, and I want to put you in touch with him. Uh, I, do you know uh, David Zimmerman? No. You've got to do his. You've got to do his Meet the Biz class. You've got to do his class. I want to put you two in touch with each other. Uh, go and speak with his class because you uh, you'll come out. So, uh, but he had someone who is a little person, and she was speaking. And she's when she goes into an audition, uh, she walks in and she says, "I'm a mother. I'm a lover." I'm a housewife. I'm all these things. But when I walk into an audition, they see the Wizard of Oz. They see uh, the Christmas show at Radio City Music Hall. They see me as an elf. They see me as only those things. And uh, it's, uh, you know, we need to just broaden our horizons. Uh, Christian, I I, I just, I, I, I could go on forever with you. Uh, I want you to come back every with every book that you write. Uh, of course. You are just the best. Uh, and Rose Apuzo, thank you, thank you, thank you for staying on top of this because she did. And, uh, you know, she just made sure that this happened. Everybody get this book. Have you read, but have you read the book? Uh, it is incredible. I'm going to give you the final word, but I'm going to give my final word first. And then I'm going to leave the screen and I'm going to let you have the final word. It could be about anything that we spoke about today that you want to build upon, anything that we didn't talk about that you wish we had, or just any final message that you want to leave everyone with today. Don't worry about how to end the show. As soon as you say goodbye, the final credits will roll. Uh, as an act, first of all, I want to thank everybody for showing up. I hope that you all will get this book. As a matter of fact, I want you to get two copies of this book. I want you to call your favorite bookseller and I want you to order two copies. Get one for yourself and then I want you to go to your Facebook friends list and I want you to reach out to the fifth name that pops up and I want you to send one to that person. And then I want you to pick up the phone and I want you to call them and I want you to have a conversation. Not an email message, not a text message, not a private inbox message, but I want you to talk about your favorite film. Uh, better yet, get together and watch that favorite film and have a discussion about it. Uh, we spend too much time reaching out and talking about people after they're no longer here. It's important that we reach out to each other. As an actor, I think it's important that we all are able uh, to shed light on the human condition and that we all are able to experience uh, what it's like to walk in someone else's shoes and to have the empathy of what it's like to walk in someone else's shoes. And to me, that is what happens in the pages of a book and, what, uh, and playing a character in the movies. And so when we start cutting off and start putting parameters or boundaries or borders on who should play certain parts or who should not play certain parts. Uh, we are really uh, cutting off what the human condition is all about. Uh, let's all celebrate each other. That's what it's all about. And let's make this July uh, a celebration of true independence for everybody. Um, I end every show by telling everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Uh, like I said before, pick up the phone and call someone you haven't spoken to in a long time. Uh, again, not an email message, not a text message, not a private inbox message, but a phone call. I have a dear friend. He says, we're all in the same storm, but we're in different size boats. And I always say, I don't care what size boat you're on, as long as you have a skipper by your side. And with that, I'm going to leave the screen. And Kristen, it's all yours. And thank you uh, for this incredible book. It's, it's incredible. Thank you. And it's all yours. Thank you. I don't know how I'm going to top that, but I will certainly try. Uh, I want to thank Richard for giving me the opportunity to talk about my book. Uh, I hope everybody loves it, um, especially this week with TCM. Uh, being in the news lately, uh, I tell everybody that I don't have answers on how the network is going to go, but we're all in the same leaky boat together. We all love classic films, and that's ultimately why I wrote this book, because I love classic films. I love books. Uh, I want more people to love them as much as I do. Um, but if you buy it, please let me know. I'm on social media. Uh, if you want a signed copy, I try to make that happen, so I'm very online. Feel free to reach out to me, and I can definitely do my best to uh to you know sign something or talk classic film i'm always around uh thank you so much bye
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.